Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Monday, April 9th, and we're talking about vertical integration. I'm your host, Michael Douglas, and I'm joined by Matt Frankel. Matt, great to have you back on the show. Always fun to be here. Fantastic. So uh, we wanted to talk about vertical integration a little bit because, well, if you pay attention to the financial news at all, there have been a lot of mergers and acquisitions just across all kinds of different sectors. And what you really see across the board is companies trying to take advantage of the low interest rate environment one last time before growth um, in the economy really pushes the Federal Reserve to continue uh, raising interest rates in a way that is going to make cheap debt increasingly difficult to come by. And that those uh, mergers and acquisitions increasingly are looking like vertical integration plays. You know, if you think about it in healthcare, you see it with CBS and Aetna, right? And a lot of the other um, healthcare mergers and acquisitions. Um, you see it in a lot of other sectors too. And frankly, uh, those are just accelerations of trends we've seen toward vertical integration across the board in a lot of areas. Um, you think about Walmart. You know, one of the things that really made Walmart powerful in the first place was that they really controlled so much of their supply chain, and uh, we see this happening in financials as well, where there's just this integration kind of just across the board. And so there are kind of three main areas we want to talk about this, uh, where we're seeing this in financials either occurring or accelerating or just something that's kind of been the case for a while. Um, the first, insurance. And uh, I think Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway is, of course, kind of the classic example of an insurer that is also in reinsurance. Yeah, um, they're actually in a whole lot of business. <laughs> well, <right>? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's um, fair. But um, in insurance, there's generally two transactions that takes place. It's not just you paying a premium, as most people think. When customers pay a premium, say for auto insurance, like in Berkshire Hathaway's case, Geico, um, a lot of times the insurance company will purchase what's called reinsurance to kind of lay off some of their risk. Mm -hmm. um, a big famous situation in insurance planning is uh, Hurricane Andrew about, what was that, about 30 years ago, almost in Florida, um, where a lot of insurance companies completely went bankrupt because they couldn't afford the massive losses they were sustaining. So reinsurance allows them to kind of purchase insurance on their insurance to prevent from catastrophic losses. Um, so what a few companies have done, and Berkshire's not the only one, they're a very notable example. Um, actually, Geico's their most well-known insurance company, but most of Berkshire's insurance business is reinsurance. Um, a couple of other companies have done this as well. Markel's a big one. Um, they're a very unique insurance play. They have a specialty insurance division. They insure risks that are really impossible for anyone else to gauge, but mm -hmm. they do it really well. Um, and they also have a big reinsurance business. Uh, two others I can think of off the top of my head are uh, Aspen Insurance Holdings and XL Group, both of which have substantial businesses in both. Um, where this helps is when you have, say, like we just had over the summer, where you have three major hurricanes, wildfires in California, a lot of insurance claims, the reinsurance side of the business is really going to take a hit. But the traditional insurance will be end up being okay because of reinsurance. So it kind of helps balance out the risk these companies are taking on. 
Yes, as long as it's sort of diversified across different product lines, right? If you do, just for example, um, you know, insurance, you know, home insurance, then you do reinsurance for that kind of insurance. You know, that might be a little bit problematic. But as long as you're uh, working across different sectors, I think that's where, um, and, and sectors that are not highly correlated to each other, I think that's where you can kind of get that that balancing. And you know, we've seen. Um, this happened with um, you know banks. You know, he- head over to Goldman Sachs just for a minute, and we'll be talking more about them in a bit. But um, you know, where their um, their you know trading desk does very well when their wealth management side of their business is maybe struggling a little bit, and so and of course the inverse occurs as well. And so there are some benefits there to the business in terms of stability because of that ability to kind of diversify their risk a little bit. Um, it's it's an interesting. It's an interesting trend, and I, I think it's something that will be certainly Berkshire and Markel have made it look well, maybe not easy, but they certainly looked pretty good while doing it. Um, I think one of the big questions we'll we'll have to ask long term is sort of the some of the lesser capitalized insurers, sort of what this looks like for them long term. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that point. Cool. So let's turn to our second area. I promised we were going to get back to banking, and lo and behold, here we are, banking. Um, when you look at how the banks are expanding and changing, particularly the big banks, but I think we see this uh, across some of the smaller regional ones as well, there is uh, a vertical integration aspect here where, where banks are increasingly trying to be all things to all people. Um, we talked about Goldman a little bit earlier. Uh, let's talk about Goldman a little bit more. I mean, they are traditionally a an investment bank, and so their focus is on you know, uh, M&A, wealth management, and um, their trading desk. And yet, they're now doing consumer loans with Marcus. And you also see, um, just in general, the, the lines between the different types of big banks, again, your commercial uh, banks, your in, uh, investment banks, and universal banks kind of blur as they all kind of try to do all the things a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, the problem with not being in all lines of banking these days is that people want somewhere where you can do everything in the same place. Um, in Goldman's case, their investment banking business was great as long as most of the other major banks didn't have investment banking divisions. But now that Bank of America has Merrill Lynch, Wells Fargo has Wells Fargo Advisors, um, and all the I mean, I could go on. JP Morgan is obviously an investment bank. But now, so they're trying to give their customers more of a one-stop experience so they don't say, well, okay, I'm going to go to Wells Fargo where I can have my wealth management needs met and have all of my other banking needs met in one place. Now, Goldman's a long way from offering everything a banking customer could need. Sure. Obviously, there's no Goldman Sachs branches in my city. I don't think there are in yours. But, But that's kind of the direction it's going, and I wouldn't be surprised if it gets there someday. Where there's a Goldman Sachs branch in in Alexandria, where Michael is. Yeah, and 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 I mean, this is it, it makes sense in a lot of ways, right? That that banks are trying to do this because they're trying to meet their customers where they are. I mean, time is a valuable commodity, and one of the things with the advent of uh, the internet is that it's just become so much easier to save time with things, and so we prize it. Um, because you know we're, we're we're trying to find ways to reduce all these extra errands and all this extra just stuff that we have to remember and do because there's so many other things now that we can remember and do and learn about, and so banks really have to try to serve that. One of the problems for banks in approaching this is that they risk 
getting into something that they're not very good at and making a big mistake. And you, particularly when you think about um, a, a bank that historically hasn't made loans a lot, like, for example, a Goldman, um, and then they start making loans, you can see why that might become a bit of a concern for investors in that bank, given that they just don't have a ton of experience in it compared to their other business lines. No, that's true. And there's definitely pros and cons. There's kind of what you're referring to as like a general loss of focus on their core business. Mm -hmm. But there are kind of trade-offs. There's especially if they're going through, going through acquisitions, adding another segment, um, a lot of kind of economies of scale, I guess you would say, by going from a bank with, I mean, in, their, in, in the ones we're talking about, you know, $1 trillion of assets to $2 trillion of assets. There are some economies of scale to be had there. Um, and it also makes you kind of, it lets you cut out the middleman. Even before banks started universally integrating, they would have kind of a wealth management partner they would refer customers to. Um, a place they would refer customers to for loans if they weren't already making them. So it kind of lets them cut out the middleman and kind of, you know, pocket all the money for themselves from their customers. Um, banks refer to that as cross-selling. And it's just kind of a trade-off. And I mean, for the record, I'm not doubting Goldman's experience to as assess risk. They're pretty good at that in, in other areas of their business. Mm -hmm. But th that's a very good point. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of a purely commercial bank, like if U.S. Bank, if they started a big investment banking division, it would be a little suspicious to, or at least make me a little bit wary as a shareholder if they were mm -hmm. going to completely get into a new line of the business. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, as you noted, um, <laughs> in some ways, these these are the sorts of things um, that follow cycles where uh, companies will bulk up and then they will slim down and they'll bulk up and they'll slim down. Um, certainly that's been the case in healthcare. Anyone who's a follower of big pharma has seen this cycle play out a few times in the last couple of decades. Um, I, you know, I think one of the big questions we'll have to ask with the banks is, is this a permanent thing? I think the answer is yes, because people are looking for to simplify their finances. And so they want a platform that can do all the things. But it's still, I think, to some extent, also an open question. Like, it's certainly possible that we could be wrong, and um, you know, it's one of those things where time will tell. Yeah, definitely. And uh, vertical integration for some of the big banks too. It's worth mentioning is kind of one of their big advantages over the smaller online banks that can offer better interest rates and you know uh, better loan rates. That we've been talking about in other episodes recently. Mm -hmm. So it's critical that they can kind of, like, for example. Um, Bofi is one of our favorite banks, and I use Wells Fargo because I like having a safe deposit box, and I like being able to go inside and talk to a teller if I need to. So things, um, and I get all of my banking needs met through Wells Fargo, whereas with Bofi, I could get a great savings account and maybe a mortgage, but that's about it. So it's 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 part of maintaining their advantage as the big players in the industry too. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so let's turn to our our third area where we're seeing this beginning to happen, which is oddly enough in real estate investment trusts or REITs. Now, I'm saying oddly enough because my tendency in REITs has been to really focus in on companies that are really good at one thing. <laughs> and, and that one thing is figuring out what properties are the right ones to buy and then well, okay, I guess two things. <laughs> Figuring out what properties are the right ones to buy and then leasing them out effectively, right? Um, and 
and, and I tend to actually favor companies that don't think about that, that sort of outsource all the other stuff. Like, as a REIT, you don't have to be a great property manager because there are other people who are very good at property management. Um, but, um, you know, certainly there there is an argument in the other direction, and you actually see some REITs heading in that direction. Uh, Welltower being a great example of a company that is really starting to kind of try to integrate a lot of these different functions under its umbrella. Yeah, Welltower and a lot of the healthcare REITs are, um, on that note are they're structured more as operating partnerships than just kind of landlord-tenant relationships. And Welltower, it's actually a 50-50 mix, mm-hmm. roughly, of their senior housing properties are triple net leased, and the other half are operated in partnership with some of the best you know, senior operators in the business, uh, Brookdale being one of them. And triple net, uh, triple net leasing, by the way, as background for anyone who's not familiar, essentially means that the tenant is paying all of the... Uh, all of the extra stuff associated with occupying the property. So that's usually utilities, maintenance, and insurance, and, and often taxes. Yeah, and by the way, that that produces a pretty low-risk business model. You want to look for triple net REITs if you want to see the ones that will get through the tough times. Right. REITs are kind of my, my favorite thing. Uh, a lot of people think it's weird how much I like REITs. But, um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's weird. I like them too. But back to the healthcare and, and the vertical integration. Right. Um, recently, there was actually a real an interesting news story where Quality Care Properties, which was a spinoff of HCP, one of the major healthcare REITs, um, they announced they are absorbing, as a result of uh, back rent owed, uh, HCR Manor Care, which is the second largest uh, senior or skilled nursing facilities operator in the country, uh, giving up their REIT status to do so, and so they're actually going to be in the skilled nursing business in addition to owning the properties that the skilled nursing facilities are operating out of. So that's actually a really kind of prime example of vertical integration going on. A company actually willing to give up its REIT status to have several layers of the supply chain. Yeah. And and so when when we think broadly about vertical integration, I think one of the key questions that people are going to ask is, well, okay, is this a good is this a good idea or is this not a good idea? And I don't think we can even say across, you know, insurance or banking or REITs, whether it's a good idea or not, so much of it is going to depend on execution and on the company. And I'll just give you a, an example outside of the the sector. You know, uh, in, in healthcare, Johnson & Johnson has just done a great job of the conglomerate model. Um, it's worked really, really well for them. GE has done maybe not as great of a job of the conglomerate model. It has not worked as well for them. And it, I think that has less to do with the particular sectors that they operate in and just more to do with how management has approached things, how thoughtful they've been about capital allocation, and just how uh, how wisely they've led the business. And so when thinking about this in insurance, in banking, in REITs, or even across the umbrella of all three of those, financials, as we call it, um, I don't think there's necessarily a universality here. Um, I think the question is really a question of execution. The, the one area where I'll say differently with that, though, is probably banking. It's probably a good move for them to do it because that's where consumers are going. Consumers want an easy place to just do all their things. I bank in two different places. Um, the only reason I do that is because one of them is really good at one thing and one of them is really good at another thing. And uh, if I did not have, and I, I still find it frustrating, if I did not have to do that, I wouldn't. Um, but just for me, the the costs are worth the benefits. But most, generally speaking, people just want to have all their stuff in one place. 
So another good point is with banks, it's not just through acquisitions usually. Usually banks are kind of adding products and services to their existing business. It's not not that they're going into debt or trying to justify things with synergies, which we are not big fans of. They generally just kind of add to their business model, which is why it's kind of a different animal in the banking sector. Yes, no, that's a good point. And and yeah, that's actually a, a good additional point to make here, which is that one of the questions you have to ask when looking at um, vertical integration and sort of how a company's doing it is, well, how they're doing it. Are they doing it organically? Are they doing it internally? Are they doing it through acquisition? Um, acquisitions certainly um, both have benefits and drawbacks, right? The benefit with organic is that you really probably very well know the employees that you're using <laughs> to kind of grow that new piece of the business. Um uh, and, and and it gets designed the way you want it, right? Flip side of that, it's bootstrapped. And so things get designed well, as well as you can do them, which maybe if you're not an expert, isn't necessarily that well. Whereas on the flip side, you know, when you grow by acquisition, you are usually buying a stable business, hopefully, or at least a business that's already at some scale and already kind of has some stuff. There are inevitably some culture conflicts as you integrate that business into yours, but it's already at scale and it already works in some way. Um, and so there are benefits and drawbacks to both. And so I think as investors, we just have to be really, really thoughtful about approaching this and, and, and avoid a lot of sort of vertical integration is good, mergers and acquisitions are good, um, or, or the opposite, that either of those is necessarily bad. It really so much is situational. Yeah, you definitely have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, for, for better or for worse. Um, folks, that's it for this week's financial show. Questions, comments, you can always reach us at industryfocus@fool.com. As always, people in the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Michael Douglas. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. <laughs>